Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL. On Instagram and TikTok, that is No Huddle NFL with no capitals or spaces. Should I be recording this episode of the Goal Line Podcast? Probably not, just because of how much homework I have. And because of how much homework I have, I'm probably going to go to sleep at around 1 a.m., which isn't very good because I have school at starting at 7.50 tomorrow, which obviously is terrible. But that's a problem for later tonight and not really a problem for you viewers. So I hope you enjoy this because I wasted or not wasted, but I used a lot of time making these notes and researching these topics that I'm going to talk about in this episode of the podcast. So I hope you enjoy because I know one thing for sure later tonight when I'm still doing homework, I'm definitely going to regret recording this. But anyway, some stuff happened really over the past two days that I really want to talk about with Urban Meyer basically being on the bridge of being fired, like getting dangerously close to getting fired, Stefan Gilmore being traded to the Panthers, and Justin Fields being named the starter of the Bears. Those are three topics that I really want to talk about. And week four, there's a lot of huge takeaways that I have from all the games on Sunday and on Thursday and on Monday. And then there's another game coming up on Thursday that's going to be really, really interesting. But I'm not really going to talk about that Thursday night game because, one, I don't really have the time. Like I said, I have a lot of homework. And then, two, there's just so many other topics that I want to talk about that I'm not going to really be able to fit that one in. And the first topic I want to talk about is something that developed today. Stephon Gilmore being traded to the Carolina Panthers. Right? He is a special player. He is insanely good. Insanely good. He has all the talent that you need at the cornerback position. That's why he won Defensive Player of the Year just two years ago. But he's not what he was in 2019, okay? Is he still good? Yes. Can he still be the cornerback one for a team? Absolutely. But he's not that level of player. And the problem for the Patriots was that Stephon Gilmore was asking to be paid like the player he was in 2019 as opposed to the player that he is today in 2021. And the reality is that player that he is today in 2021 isn't even really close to what he was in 2019. Yet again, probably still a top 10 cornerback in the NFL. But he is not that guy. He is not a player deserving of, you know, 15 plus million dollars per year on his contract. And a team like the Patriots, no way they're going to play a player like that. They never do. They never do. That's how they made this dynasty, out of getting these players that are super talented for cheap. And I think the Panthers getting him, absolute steal. But I'll get into that soon. First, I want to go more and more into why the Patriots had to get him or had to get rid of him. They have Jonathan Jones, J.C. Jackson, and Jalen Mills, all three of which are pretty good cornerbacks, and that is still a top-notch cornerback trio, even without Stephon Gilmore. 
they didn't need to pay Stephen, Stephon Gilmore what he's asking for. Stephon Gilmore wanted to play under a huge contract and didn't want to play under a small one. And the Patriots obviously weren't willing to pay him like that. So they've been trying to trade him away for a decent amount of time. The problem was... No one was really proposing any trades. Whether or not that was fear that they would have to give up a first-round pick or a starting-caliber player, I don't know. But for some reason, the Panth- the Patriots were not getting trade offers. So, earlier today, they announced that they were going to cut him. And the cu- the release would become official at 4 p.m. But teams like the Panthers are... I I think the Panthers might be the only team that came up with this idea. They were like, you know what? I don't want to go through this entire bidding process. Because that's what would have happened. The second he hit waivers, it would just be a bunch of teams in a bidding war. And the Panthers didn't want to have to do that. Because they could still have Stephon Gilmore for a year and then pay him after that. They don't want to have to pay him this huge contract right away. They still want to get one more year out of him under this contract that he's currently on, and then, after seeing how he plays this year, then they'll give him that next contract that he wants. The Patriots weren't going to give him that contract no matter what. The Panthers, there's a little, there's a legitimate chance, and I think the chance is decently likely just because of how much cap space they have. But to get a high-caliber defensive talent like Stefan Gilmore, in exchange for a 2023 six-round pick. Absolute steal. And it fills a need for this team with Jay Seahorn out, their first-round pick. They needed a corner, even though they traded for C.J. Henderson. Is he good, especially for a young player? Yes. But, I mean, let's be honest. This Panthers team, they they can go places. Even before the Stefan Gilmore trade, they're capable of going places. They don't want to put all their faith into a first-round pick like or a young corner like C.J. Henderson until they feel like he's ready. They clearly don't think he's ready for that yet. And like I said, they can go deep in the playoffs this year, and they're going to have a much higher chance of doing that with Stephon Gilmore than they are going to have with C.J. Henderson. C.J. Henderson is still going to have a decent role on this team with Dante Jackson probably being the cornerback too, but then C.J. Henderson will be the slot. So it's going to be Stephon Gilmore and Dante Jackson on the field most of the time, and then when they need to bring in a slot guy, which I see them doing a decent amount just because of how strong their cornerback room is now, they're going to put Henderson on the field. He's still going to have a decent role with the team, and after this year, he will probably get a chance to start. If he does well in practice and everything, maybe they don't even give Stefan Gilmore a new contract after this year, and they just start Henderson. We'll have to see. But no matter what they do with C.J. Henderson, Stefan Gilmore, they are going to have an incredible defense. All right? I think they may have the best defense in the NFL. All right, I, I said it. I'm just saying what everyone else is thinking, okay? Because they they were already, like, 
in that top five category. They've been great all year. But now you throw on an amazing cornerback like Stephon Gilmore, this defense becomes possibly the best in the league. They have a great defensive scheme. Brian Burns, who broke out last year and really has just been phenomenal all year this year. Derek Brown, a sophomore defensive tackle who's been really, really good against the run and makes it a lot harder to run the ball just because of how big he is. Zach Thompson, another player that really came out of nowhere with a breakout season. He's been playing amazingly. And of course, CJ Henderson, who I just mentioned, he was top, he was a top 10 draft pick just a year ago. All right. He is incredibly talented and his rookie year was honestly not that bad, especially for a rookie cornerback. Cornerback is one of the hardest positions to play at the NFL level. And he still had a pretty solid season despite having a terrible defense around him on Jacksonville. And yet again, being a rookie playing cornerback, that's really difficult. Dante Jackson, another player who really just broke out out of nowhere. Jeremy Chin, a sophomore safety who's been absolutely amazing for this team, and they got him for a really low value with a decently late, late draft pick. And now, 2019 Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore. That is a stacked defensive unit. And there's some people that I didn't mention, but those are like the main guys, all right? And that, that's a stacked to the brim defense. And I expect this defense to possibly be the best in the league. And, you know, last time I said a defense will be the best in the league, I was wrong. I was talking about Washington. And they, they've been incredibly bad. But I do not think that I'll be wrong about this Panthers team. Because they were already good, and now they just added a recent defensive player of the year to it. And the fact they got him for a sixth-round pick, wow, that was amazing value for them. Now let's move on to another topic. Justin Fields, the player that you all know, oh, it's the Justin Fields hater. He's going to hate on Justin Fields again. He was named the starter. Okay? And despite what you guys may think, I'm going to say, I like this. I like that they did this. All right? Even though I think he's a terrible quarterback and not going to really work out in the NFL, Justin Fields was deserving of that starting quarterback spot. I don't think he's better than Andy Dalton, but it does more for the team, him starting. There wasn't really a point of starting Andy Dalton. This team isn't going anywhere. This team isn't going to make a playoff run. Andy Dalton, Justin Fields, it could be Nick Foles. No matter what, this team will not be a playoff team. We know this. Maybe they'll squeak in, but then they'll just lose in the wild card round. So why not start the young guy that you gave up two first-round picks in order to get? Why not? You want him to learn on the bench? Didn't, didn't seem like he learned much because, I mean... Of course, I somehow find a way to talk bad about him, but he still looks like kind of the same quarterback he did at Ohio State. A little bit of improvement in some areas, but the flaws that I said he had are still there. Very clearly still there. 
Justin Fields, I don't think he's a good quarterback yet again. But the Bears should start him. They gave up too much to not give him every snap. It's a confidence booster for him, which is great for a young quarterback. It's really hard to get a confidence booster for a young quarterback without, you know, winning games. And they did win a game against the Lions, which is great for them. That's another confidence booster for Justin Fields. That's what they need, morality. That's one of the most important parts of the sport that no one really talks about. Justin Fields may not be a great quarterback, but he still should be starting. Because they gave up so much, basically gave up their team's future, or at least their recent future, or close future, to get him. You gotta use him. He can't just be sitting on the bench all year, just for the team to miss the playoffs. Kinda pointless to me. I still think he's a severely flawed quarterback, okay? He played against a terrible Lions team and still wasn't overly great. Which should be fine. Which, for most players, would be fine. If he didn't only have a single net yard in his one other start. A single net yard. That is really, really bad. I don't care how bad the offensive line played. I don't care how bad Matt Nagy's play calling was. Alright? A single net yard, I don't care how bad your situation is. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I mean, you watch some of the film from that game. Justin Fields did not play well. You could give him a little bit of an excuse, all right? Yeah, the offensive line did play bad. Yeah, the coaching the the coaching staff did a pretty bad job. But if a quarterback has a one single net yard in an entire 60 minutes of football at an NFL level, at least 30% of the blame has to be on him. It's that simple. Now, before I talk about Urban Meyer, I want to talk about some of my week four takeaways. And that Urban Meyer thing, trust me, it's going to be really interesting to talk about it because I did a little, I did a decent amount of research, and it, it's a really, really interesting situation to say the least. But first, let's talk about week four. Which may, there was so much stuff that happened off the field, it's easy to forget about the games that were recently played, huh? I think the Cowboys are legitimate contenders for once. We always hear Cowboys fans, oh, this is our year. This is our year. We're winning the Super Bowl. Do I think they're going to win the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But for once, I actually understand the confidence. The delusional Cowboys fans don't seem as delusional as usual. They're a little bit less Dilusional. I could see them making a play. I, I think they're guaranteed a playoff spot, if you ask me. Unless Washington starts playing how I said that they would start playing, and unless the Giants continue to play like they did this week, or even play better. I mean, this Cowboys team, they're, they're really good. I don't see the Eagles really giving, really contending. I think the Cowboys win the NFC East pretty easily. 
and I, I could see them winning a game or two in the playoffs. I really can. I mean, Dak Prescott has been phenomenal all year so far with a great receiver core of Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup. Those are three good receivers. Getting the ball from a great quarterback. And the offensive line, I mean, as long as they're healthy, they're going to be set. Zach Martin, he's still great, even at his age. Tyron Smith, also very good, even at his age. And Zeke and Tony Pollard. They are one of the best running back duos in the NFL. If it weren't for Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they probably would be the best. Because the numbers that they are putting up may not be insane, but you watch them on the field, and it, it's just amazing how efficient they are. They could both be starting running backs on any NFL team, and they would still put up pretty solid numbers. Even with a, even if they had a bad offensive line, they would still be pretty alright. It just helps that they have Zach Martin. And it just helps that they have a very good receiver core to take the defenders out of the box. Zeke and Tony Pollard are two great running backs. And to have both of them on the same team with an amazing passing game and a very good offensive line, that is great for them. Although there is a weakness with this team, alright? The defense hasn't been great. They're not the liability that they were last year. But they have not been... Amazing. They haven't been top 10 in the league. They haven't been Rams defense, Cleveland Browns defense. They've been all right. Which you can't really make a deep playoff run with this defense. Unless their offense is absurdly good. Like the Chiefs all the way back in 2019. Their defense wasn't all that great. But their offense with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins. It was amazing. You couldn't stop them. So even though their defense wasn't anything too special, their offense was so good and so high scoring, it didn't matter. Could the Cowboys do that? Possibly. With a great offensive coordinator like Kellen Moore and that talent, it is possible. But let's slow down a little bit. Let's see if the Cowboys even make the playoffs before we start up Super Bowl talk. Because it seems a little bit too sudden for the Cowboys to just randomly become a Lombardi-hosting team. Speaking of Lombardi-hosting teams, my other takeaway involves another team that I think has a very real chance at being a Lombardi-hosting team, the Arizona Cardinals. I was high on this team going into this season, all right? I was one of the few people that said, like, watch out for the Cardinals. They are a sneaky, really, really good team. But even I'm surprised by how well they're playing. I expected them to be good, really good. Possibly top 10 team in the league. Maybe even like top 7. I did not expect them to be the second best. And yes, I would say that they are the second best team in the NFL at this moment. Beating the Rams, really? Arizona, I don't know how they do it. But whenever they play a division rival like the 49ers, Seahawks, Rams... They somehow always find a way to A, either keep it close, or B, win. 
which even when they had like a bad team in Kyler Murray's rookie year, ever since Cliff Kingsbury went there, he's always known how to scheme against his division rivals. It's always been a top priority with him. But still, beating the Rams was incredibly surprising to me. Incredibly surprising. Because this Rams team, after beating the Buccaneers last week, they almost looked unbeatable. And now Arizona plays them and beats them by 17? Really? And it wasn't even like the Rams played a bad game. The Cardinals just looked amazing. Their receiver core is super, super deep. A.J. Green, Rondell Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, Kristen Kirk, Andy Isabella. That is a deep receiver core. And it's somehow only getting better with Max Williams all of a sudden breaking out at the tight end position. Oh, and in, ca- in case you can somehow stop all of those receivers, how about Chase Edmonds out of the backfield? Oh, but Chase Edmonds only a receiving threat. We don't really have to worry about the running game. Chase Edmonds, for whatever reason, had a great game running the football against the Rams. And if he could continue to do that, this team, even though it's an air raid offense, can have a very good running game, too. Oh, but you know, in the running game, they only have Chase Edmonds. James Conner isn't all that great. They don't really need an RB, too, because they have they have Kyler Murray as their number two running back. If they need to give Chase Edmonds a break running the ball, oh, here's Kyler Murray running the ball even better. I would say the second best rushing quarterback in the league. And I'll be honest, James Conner isn't that bad. He fits that RB2 role. Is he a great RB2? No. No, absolutely not. But they're an air raid offense. They don't really care much about an RB2. And I would say he's in like the middle of the pack in terms of RB2 standards, maybe a little bit worse. But they're an air raid offense. They don't really care about the running game that much. So the fact their running game is good at all, even above average, is surprising. They don't need to be pass first. The fact that they they could just do that read option every play with Chase Edmonds, that offensive line has been pretty solid running the ball. And Kyler Murray is just... So good running and throwing. He has flaws. I do think the way he plays quarterback is insanely risky and on the edge and can hurt them and get them huge losses because he takes really deep drops before he throws it. Part of that is because of his height. But still, this team is great. And that's all on the offensive side of the ball. I didn't even mention their defense, which somehow held this amazing, spectacular, untouchable Rams offense down to 20 points. Byron Murphy's had a break, has broken out, and I, I knew that I knew he would. With Patrick Peterson down, someone with Patrick Peterson out, someone in that secondary needed to step up. And Byron Murphy was that guy. Buda Baker, I still think he's the best safety in the NFL. 
And the pass rush with J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. This is a hard defense to beat. A very difficult defense to beat. And just wait until Zavin Collins starts to get going. It is This Cardinals team can win the Super Bowl. Entirely possible. With how they've been playing, this team could be representing the NFC this year. And possibly hoisting the Lombardi. Is it early? Absolutely. But everyone loves a little bit of an overreaction, don't they? Now, let's talk about something that has really surprised me. Because I have not been high on this guy. I wouldn't say I was necessarily saying that he couldn't be the guy for this team. But I have been saying it's been unlikely. But I've always said that there was a chance that he could be the guy. I'm talking about Daniel Jones. I was never really high on him. But I've always said, like, he has the talent. He just needs to get it together. And he could be that franchise quarterback. And I'm, he, he's been doing it. He's quietly been putting together a great season. It Now, is... Is he a bad decision maker? Does he have bad pocket awareness? Yes. But it seems like the strengths in his game have been able to make up for it. And he no longer has the ball security issue, which really helps. This Giants team is not very good, alright? We know that. But once Daniel Jones gets a good coaching staff... Teams should be really scared because Daniel Jones, he's a good quarterback. I think he's proved that. Unless he takes some huge steps back over the season, which he could. I think he finally proved to this Giants team he's their franchise quarterback. You don't need to draft another quarterback. You could just start May. That that pick that you traded uh, or that you got from a trade, so the Bears could get Justin Fields? Yeah, you don't have to use that on a quarterback anymore. You could just draft me, hopefully, two offensive linemen in the first round. That should be the move, but we'll have to see. I mean, with Saquon and Daniel Jones, those are two players that you could build that offense around. And maybe even Kadarius Tony. He had a pretty good game against the Saints. I mean, the Giants, did they look great against the Saints? No, not really. A lot of it was the Saints shooting themselves in the foot, if you ask me. But I'm not going to undermine this win for the Giants, all right? I'm not. The Giants played winning football. And Daniel Jones was a huge reason for that. Daniel Jones put the team on his back. He won NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and I think that that was the right choice. He's proven he could play quarterback at an NFL level and be a franchise quarterback. He's only going to get better. As the mental mistakes, as he gets better mentally, he's only going to improve because he has the physical traits he needs. Now, the other and final takeaway that I have is, or second to last takeaway I have, the Patriots should be taken seriously by everyone. Okay? 
the Patriots, even though they were bad last year, they should be taken seriously. Yeah, they lost. Yeah, they have a losing record. I get that. But they almost beat the Buccaneers. Okay? Now, yet again, oh, it's one game. Calm down, Patrick. Mac Jones has looked good all season. Has it resulted in wins for the Patriots? No, but it will. If they play like they did against the Buccaneers every week, they're set. They're a playoff team, and they, they might make it far. Because we all know, once the Patriots make it to the playoffs, they play much better. The defense has been great. Most of that being because of Bill Belichick. But still, they have the talent. Even without Stephon Gilmore, they have the talent. The pass rush with Matthew Judon. Matt Judon has been a stud. A stud all year. I think he's I think he's probably the best player on their defense now that Stephon Gilmore's gone. Kyle Van Noy, he's a linebacker familiar with Bill Belichick. And now they brought in another linebacker familiar with Bill Belichick's defensive scheme, Jamie Collins. The, the defense doesn't have all that much talent, yeah. But Bill Belichick is so smart, he doesn't need talent. He got the plays he got the players he wants. He got the role players that he needs. He doesn't need players that could do everything. He just needs to find players that are good at one specific thing and he'll be able to scheme around that. That's why I like Kristen Barmore and that's why I drafted him and he's been a great role player for that team. That was a pretty short segment, I know. And I was just talking about the defense. I want to talk about the offense before I move on to my next topic. Their offense has not been all that great statistically. But if you've been watching the games, you would know. They kind of have a switch, all right? And when they flip that switch, all of a sudden, Mac Jones becomes incredibly efficient. First down. Five-yard hitch route. Five-yard hitch route. Two-yard pass. A run for two yards. Six-yard hitch. Curl. Slant. Consistently hitting everything. Not many inaccurate passes. Most of the time that he doesn't have a complete pass, it's a drop. Mac Jones has been incredibly efficient. When he when that switch comes on for the, for the Patriots offense, when they need a score, and that switch flips, everything goes right. And if they can play like that all the time, that is what Bill Belichick wants. That is what Brady was able to do with this team. And that is what Mac Jones is capable of doing for this team. And he's shown it. He's shown glimpses of it. He just needs to be able to do it consistently. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about, my last hot take, or not hot take, my last takeaway before I move over to Urban Meyer the Dolphins aren't the team we thought they were. It, it, it's been proven. I've been praying that they would just randomly start playing well, and they haven't. They, they're starting off 1-3. and three. The offense is terrible, and Tua's injury is not an excuse because they weren't playing well with Tua either. Tua hasn't looked good when he was healthy. And the defense isn't even close to what we thought they would be. Very similarly to Washington. We thought this defense was going to be one of the best in the league. And here they are, terrible. They haven't done anything right on defense. They've been bad at run defense. 
Their pass defense hasn't been great. They're not good. And I think the Patriots are a team that could take that AFC East wild card. You know, the Bills are obviously winning it, but then Patriots winning that wild card spot just because they're going to have an easy win against the Dolphins, easy win against the Jets. So that's four easy wins. It's going to be tough to beat Buffalo. But their schedule is pretty easy. I can see the Patriots getting a wild card spot. And the Dolphins also have an easy schedule, but they can't take advantage because they aren't a good team. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. When we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about Urban Meyer. And then I'm probably going to end after that because, like I said, I have way too much homework. And I am back. I want to talk about the Urban Meyer situation, which has been extremely interesting. Probably my favorite story that's shown up over the entire year, just because there's never been anything like this with a head coach. Now, have coaches been fired before? Yes, obviously. But it's never been this quick. It's only been four games with Urban Meyer, yet they're already saying that he's on thin ice. Now, it obviously isn't because of his on-field performance. It's because of what he did after the game last week. Instead of leaving with the team, he left with a girl other than his wife. And, you know, some videos sur- some videos began to surface of him, you know, dancing with this girl. And overall, it's just giving a very bad, a very bad public deception of this entire Jaguars franchise. It's making them look like a joke. In fact, Urban Meyer got laughed out of a pr- team meeting because of that video with him and another girl. And the players have said that they respect him, obviously, because what else are they going to say? But, I mean, you look at some of the things he's done with the team... I don't see why. They respect him because of their head coach. But I already know the second he's gone, no one's going to be wanting him back. Be I've made a list of all the stuff that he has done as a coach. Some of it affecting them off the field. Some of it affecting them on the field. But really, I'm looking at this. There's really nothing he did that helped the team. Okay, so it's uh, it's in chronological order. The first like big thing he did, or controversial thing he did, he hired Chris Doyle as the team's director of sports performance. Doyle was accused of making racist comments and belittling players during his time at I- Iowa. After heavy bla- backlash, Doyle resigned from the Jaguars. So they hired a guy with a history of being racist. And, you know, today with the media and how how everything with politics is going, he has to understand, you're no longer in college. You're with a professional franchise, all right? People are going to look at every little signing you make, even if it's a coach's assistant or a director of personnel, and they're going to look at it under a microscope. And if whoever you hire has a bad history, that's not a very good look for a team. Now, of course, signing Tim Tebow as a tight end, we all know that was basically a publicity stunt. Whatever, it didn't really affect them. It didn't really mean much. 
it kind of just was a distraction, really. And it got fans talking about the wrong things. Then drafting Travis Etienne when they have the best player on their offense from last year, James Robinson, playing the same position. That was just stupid. That was just a brain-dead move. James Robinson was the one player on offense that you didn't want to draft someone to replace. And they drafted someone to replace. That was like the one spot running back. The one spot that they were 100% they're fine. That was the one spot. And they draft Travis Etienne to replace him. He also admitted that he wanted Kadarius Toney instead of Travis Etienne. Oh yeah, Travis Etienne's going to be perfectly fine with that. He won't care much. What? Dude, as a coach, you're with adults. Alright? These aren't just some video game cards or whatever. Where you could just be like... Oh, yeah, I got this guy because, you know, I couldn't get the other guy that I actually wanted. These players have feelings, all right? Now, I understand who who cares about hurting a player's feelings, but do you think Travis Etienne is going to have any respect for you whatsoever if you openly say that you wanted someone else inste- instead of him? He also told reporters that he cut players... Because of their vaccine status, which I understand that from a, you know, coaching perspective because it could result in quarantining and stuff like that, but you shouldn't say that, you know, because it's just not politically correct, really, and I don't really want to go into politics, but that's just not something that you say. You lie there. You're supposed to lie there. That's what most coaches would do. I think firing a player because of their vaccine status is the right thing to do, depending on the player, because of how that could affect your team if they get affected by COVID protocol. But you shouldn't just flat out say that. That's a really like touchy subject that I don't want to really get into. He also had an open competition between Gardner Minshew and Trevor Lawrence. Just so he could trade Trevor Lawrence a couple weeks later after he split a lot of time with Trevor Lawrence and took away some first-team reps from him. How does that make any sense? That's just stupid. And they also traded away C.J. Henderson, who was picked ninth overall last year. For not a lot, in all honesty. And the team is starting 4-0. I mean, 0-4. That is obviously very bad. And, well, the stuff that happened recently that you're hearing all over the place now. Didn't travel with the team after the Week 4 loss to Cincinnati. And viral videos um, uh, viral videos and photos emerge of him with a woman other than his wife. And now, of course, the owner releasing the statement that Urban Meyer needs to earn or regain their trust and respect. He's done nothing to help the team and so much to hurt them. Now, maybe that C.J. Henderson trade will go on to help them. 
you know, maybe. We'll have to see. But on paper, that's not a very good move. The Tim Tebow move didn't age well. Admitting that you'd rather get Kadarius Tony than a player that you actually drafted to your team is stupid. I mean, a lot of the stuff he... I would say the only one that you could even defend, possibly, is the C.J. Henderson trade. And team starting 0-4, you know, that's also on the team. But you look at some of the players, too. Trevor Lawrence still looks exactly like he did in college. That This is what happens when you have a head coach that hasn't even been a position coach, offensive coordinator, none of that in the NFL. This is his first time coaching in the NFL, and he's a head coach. That's not something teams are going to do after this. It didn't work well for Nick Saban, not working well for Urban Meyer. I don't see a team ever doing this again. I think coaches from college, no matter how good they are, are going to have to start as at least coordinators, possibly position coaches. Urban Meyer's done nothing, and I think firing him is the right move. He's done bad stuff for the team in terms of a perception of them off-the-field product type of deal. He's made the team really a laughingstock and given them a bad name, and then on the field, he hasn't done much for them either. It's one thing to be embarrassing to the team and really ruin the public perception of the team but you're a good coach that's really making the team a lot better. It's another thing to be a bad coach and embarrass the team. At least that's not that's just how I see it. If you ask me, there is no way to defend Urban Meyer here. He has done nothing but hurt the team at this point. I think this is a really good note to end it on. I'm Patrick Cipher. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL, no capitals, no spaces, on TikTok and Instagram.